listening to the podcast 82488. Desirous only of truth, even as if the question involved no more than the air-drawn lines and figures of geometrical problem instead of human passions and wrongs inflicted on himself. But as he proceeded, a terrible fascination, a kind of fierce, though still calm, necessity seized the old man within its gripe and never set him free again until he had done all its bidding. And that was a selection from today's novel, The Scarlet Letter by Nathaniel Hawthorne. Page 8 Ever had such a patriarchal body of veterans under his orders as myself, the whereabouts of the oldest inhabitant was at once settled when I looked at them. For upwards of twenty years before this epoch, the independent position of the collector had kept the Salem Custom House out of the whirlpool of political vicissitude which makes the tenure of office generally so fragile. A soldier, New England's most distinguished soldier, he stood firmly on the pedestal of his gallant services and himself secure in the wise liberality of the successive administrations through which he had held office. He had been the safety of his subordinates in many an hour of danger in a heartquake. General Miller was radically conservative, a man over whose kindly nature habit had no slight influence, attaching himself strongly to familiar faces and with difficulty moved to change, even when change might have brought unquestionable improvement. Thus, on taking charge of my department, I found few but aged men. They were ancient sea captains, for the most part, who, after being tossed on every sea and standing up sturdily against life's tempestuous blast, had finally drifted into this quiet nook, where, with little to disturb them except the periodical terrors of a presidential election, they one and all acquired a new lease of existence, though by no means less liable than their fellow men to age and infirmity. They had evidently some talisman or other that kept death at bay. Two or three of their number, as I was assured, being gouty and rheumatic, or perhaps bedridden, never dreamed of making their appearance at the custom house during a large part of the year. But after a torpid winter would creep out into the warm sunshine of May or June, go lazily about what they termed duty, and at their own leisure and convenience betake themselves to bed again. I must plead guilty to the charge of abbreviating the official breath of more
more than one of these venerable servants of the Republic. They were allowed on my representation to rest from their arduous labors and soon afterwards, as if their sole principle of life had been zeal for their country's service, as I verily believe it was, withdrew to a better world. It is a pious consolation to me that, through my interference, a sufficient space was allowed them for repentance of the evil and corrupt practices into which, as a matter of course, every custom house officer must be supposed to fall. Neither the front nor the back entrance of the custom house opens on the road to paradise. The greater part of my officers were Whigs. It was well for their venerable brotherhood that the new surveyor was not a politician, and, though a faithful Democrat in principle, neither received nor held his office with any reference to political services. Had it been otherwise, had an active politician been put into this influential post, Page 24 Possessed over the tribe of unrealities is gone. You have bartered it for a pittance of the public good. Go, then, and earn your wages. In short, the almost torpid creatures of my own fancy twitted me with imbecility and not without fair occasion. It was not merely during the three hours and a half which Uncle Sam claimed as his share of my daily life that this wretched numbness held possession of me. It went with me on my seashore walks and rambles into the country whenever, which was seldom and reluctantly, I bestirred myself to seek that invigorating charm of nature which used to give me such freshness and activity of thought the moment that I stepped across the threshold of the old mons, The same torpor, as regarded the capacity for intellectual effort, accompanied me home and weighed upon me in the chamber which I most absurdly termed my study. Nor did it quit me when, late at night, I sat in the deserted parlor lighted only by the glimmering coal of fire and the moon, striving to picture forth imaginary scenes, which the next day might flow out on the brightening page in many-hued description. If the imaginative faculty refused to act at such an hour, it might well be deemed a hopeless case. Moonlight in a familiar room, falling so white upon the carpet and showing all its figures so distinctly, making every object so minutely visible, yet so unlike a morning or a noontime visibility, is a medium the most suitable for a romance writer to get acquainted with his elusive guests. There is the little domestic scenery of the well-known apartment, the chairs, with each its separate individuality, the sentry table, 
sustaining a work basket, a volume or two, and an extinguished lamp. The sofa, the bookcase, the picture on the wall. All these details, so completely seen, are so spiritualized by the unusual light that they seem to lose their actual substance and become things of intellect. Nothing is too small or too trifling to undergo this change and acquire dignity thereby. A child's shoe, the doll, seated in her little wicker carriage, the hobby horse, whatever, in a word, has been used or played with during the day, is now invested with a quality of strangeness and remoteness. Though still almost as vividly present as by daylight. Thus, therefore, the floor of our familiar room has become a neutral territory somewhere between the real world and fairyland, where the actual and the imaginary may meet and each imbue itself with the nature of the other. Ghosts might enter here without affrighting us. It would be too much in keeping with the scene to excite surprise. Were we to look about us and discover a form beloved but gone hence, now sitting quietly in a streak of this magic moonshine with an aspect that would make us doubt whether it had returned from afar or had never once stirred from our fireside. Page 88 Sanctity in all ages of the Christian world was haunted either by Satan himself or Satan's emissary in the guise of old Roger Chillingworth. This diabolical agent had the divine permission for a season to burrow into the clergyman's intimacy and plot against his soul. No sensible man, it was confessed, could doubt on which side the victory would turn. The people looked with an unshaken hope to see the minister come forth out of the conflict, transfigured with the glory which he would unquestionably win. Meanwhile, nevertheless, it was sad to think of the merchant's mortal agony through which he must struggle towards his triumph. Alas, to judge from the gloom and terror in the depths of the poor minister's eyes, the battle was a sore one, and the victory anything but secure. Deckham, the leech, and his patient. Old Roger Chillingworth, throughout life, had been calm in temperament, kindly, though not of warm affections, but ever and in all his relations with the world appear an upright man. He had begun an investigation, as he imagined, with the severe and equal integrity of a judge, desirous only of truth, even as if the question involved no more than the air-drawn lines and figures of geometrical problems instead of human passions and wrongs inflicted on himself. But 
as he proceeded, a terrible fascination, a kind of fierce, though still calm, necessity seized the old man within its gripe, and never set him free again, until he had done all its bidding. He now dug into the poor clergyman's heart, like a miner searching for gold, or, rather, like a sexton delving into a grave, possibly in quest of a jewel that had been buried on the dead man's bosom, but likely to find nothing save mortality and corruption. Alas, for his own soul, if these were what he sought. Sometimes a light glimmered out of the physician's eyes, burning blue and ominous, like the reflections of a furnace, or, let us say, like one of those gleams of ghastly fire that darted from Bernian's awful doorway in the hillside and quivered on the pilgrim's face. The soul where this dark miner was working had Perchance shown indications that encouraged him. The End The Scarlet Letter by Nathaniel Hawthorne Throughout the flight of literature, you will find a story that touches your soul. Please support the authors in this show by viewing the books on the website 82488.com. That's numbers 8, 2, 4, the word 80, and the number 8.com.